0: welcome to ms minute with dcnd your podcast for understanding multiple sclerosis every month our ms experts tackle a different topic to help you manage your disease and live a better life dcnd is a private neurology practice based out of dayton ohio it's certified by the national ms society as a comprehensive ms care center please note this podcast and its content is designed for educational and informational purposes only Welcome to MS Minute with DCND. I am your host, Natalie Pugar. This episode is full of great information about research, how you can participate, what to expect, and why researchers need people like you. I'm turning it over to Dr. Derek Mankedict, a neurologist with Dayton Center for Neurological Disorders, and research coordinator Wendy Thacker for this one. Take a listen to their conversation.
1: Thanks again for having us on the podcast. Again, Natalie, we're excited to talk to you today about a pretty interesting topic in the world of multiple sclerosis. And today we're going to be talking about research and how it pertains to multiple sclerosis. So I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview about research and why it's important for us when we're talking about multiple sclerosis in particular. So a lot of times we'll say, Research, but really in the scientific world, we mean clinical trials. And so you may hear the terms kind of used interchangeably by your physician, um, but really they're one and the same, at least as far as we need to understand for this conversation. So, what's important about research and clinical trials is that they're one of the key things that's available as a tool for clinicians and researchers to advance medical knowledge. And what this translates to is when we advance our medical knowledge, we provide better patient care. So it's really, really cool if you're able to participate in research because you're advancing science, you're advancing knowledge, and you may be helping yourself or someone else down the road. So what we're doing with research is we're aiming to answer a particular question. So what we do here is we ask a question, you know, why, What if we have a medication, does it prevent disease progression in multiple sclerosis? Does it help a symptom in multiple sclerosis? And when we answer that, how we answer that question is research. You know, a lot of people and a lot of steps in research start with animal models or cellular models. You're looking at people or looking at things in test tubes. But ultimately, if you want to find out if something works, you have to test it in a human being because a human being is not a mouse. We're different. So we have to figure these things out. And the way we do that is we do a research trial. So this shows us what it does and doesn't work. Very rarely are people negatively affected by research, but millions and millions of people have been helped by research. So that's always a big concern people have is, well, what if I have a bad side effect from a medicine? You know, I'm not saying that those things can happen. I'm Just saying the overwhelming odds are that, you know, you're not going to have a negative effect from a research trial and that you're likely going to advance science and knowledge. So that's where the kind of benefit becomes. Of course, one of the biggest first steps in starting a research trial is identifying safety um, concerns, and you're usually looking at different um, phases of research, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. So, really, there usually ends up being two goals with research, which is identify safety concerns and then look at the efficacy of whatever you're researching, especially when it comes to medications. Another really big point that is important to talk about is that if you're able to participate in research, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but research is not for everybody. And so it's really important to talk to your doctor about your individual circumstance and what that would mean for you. Um, often asking your doctor, hey, doc, do I qualify for any research studies that you know of can really help open the conversation if it's something you're interested in participating in. But remember, every study is different and every study has really particular protocols and um, what we call um exclusions. And so it depends on if you meet certain criteria for either inclusion in the trial or you might have certain criteria that excludes you from a trial. So even if you go through the process, you know, you might not exactly qualify for the the, um, study, but you have to find those things out if that's something you're interested in. And then the other thing is you know be realistic you know you um, may not qualify or you know you might not get the benefit from the medication you might be in a placebo group which means that you might be getting a sham medication um, which usually is just like a sugar sugar pill type thing that looks exactly like the study medication and so you might not be getting the benefit of the medicine usually what happens is there's a blinding and an unblinding in the research which means you'll find out which medication you were on eventually but um, again, remember you're doing this to advance science and knowledge and you might be put in that group. So you would be realistic about your expectations if you decide to join in research. So let's talk a little bit about multiple sclerosis and research specifically. One of the coolest things about multiple sclerosis is that research has advanced the field of multiple sclerosis tremendously. In just the past 30 years. So. Especially when it comes to. Disease modifying therapies. With multiple sclerosis. We've made leaps and bounds. Which has been really, really cool. And really, really encouraging for a lot of people. Of course, we still have a long way to go. But. You know. Looking back at what we've accomplished. Over the last 30 years. Really lends kind of a study into. How cool science can be. So. In 1993, the first disease-modifying therapy was approved. That was number one. So that was less than 30 years ago. Today, in 2022, at the date of this recording, we now have over 20 disease-modifying therapies. So we, w- we have gained so many more medications available to help with disease-modifying therapy for multiple sclerosis. And so over time, all of those medications went through a clinical trial or a research trial, and they were all FDA approved, which is the Food and Drug Administration. So all of these different um, drugs had people enroll in clinical trials, and, you know, they went through that process to find out about the safety and efficacy of those medicines. And so it's pretty cool because, you know, we went from having one medicine in 1993 to then having a few towards the end of the the 2000s, which were either injectables or infusions to our first oral medication in 2010, and then having um, treatment for primary progressive multiple sclerosis, the first FDA-approved treatment in 2017. So, you know, we've made leaps and bounds as, as we've progressed through the years. And like I said, we have a lot of room to grow. And I think that's one of the exciting things about the field of multiple sclerosis is that there is so much research being conducted here that's going to advance our knowledge and hopefully aim to either prevent this disease altogether, halt the progression, or potentially reverse some of the damage you know those are kind of the big three things that are goals for multiple sclerosis here and i could spend time talking about all of them but we would have you know a really long podcast on our hands here so i've kind of been focusing a little bit on medications themselves when it comes to research so far but remember there's other areas of research that can be equally important besides medications and so You may qualify, even if you don't qualify for a study uh, for a drug, you may qualify for other studies. And so these could look like things like looking at does physical therapy slow progression or does a certain exercise program slow progression or provide improvement? Could it be meditation or mindfulness or yoga, something like that, that may help you? Looking at people's sleep patterns with MS has been studied and evaluated. You may qualify for something like that. In recent times with COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccinations in their various forms, a lot of research has been done in regards to MS and what happens with MS in these people with the vaccinations. Looking at your genetic factors in multiple sclerosis is, has been a stereo, um, an area of research as has epidemiology, you know, what happens to people with MS over time and how often is the disease picked up in our, in our communities and or, um, along the world, all these things have to be looked at and all these things provide little pieces of the puzzle to help us understand what it's like to treat MS and what it's like for um, MS in, in our, our community, in our world. So it's really interesting um, to look at these and, and again, you know, obviously, kind of the purpose of this this podcast is for you to think about research and to think a little bit about whether research might be a good fit for you in your individual circumstance. So I want to bring in Wendy at this point, and Wendy is our our um, head researcher here at the Center for Neurological Disorders, and she's really, really integral in helping the physicians here coordinate your research. She's kind of our point person that we talk to. And she's also kind of the point person for the people involved in research in our practice. So she has a lot of really great insights about research. She knows the process really well. And so um, I'm really excited for you to hear a little bit about what she has to say today. So Wendy, talk us talk to us a little bit about what it's like um, if you were a patient with MS. And let's say you talk to your doctor and and say it's me or one of the other physicians here and I say you know patient I think you'd be a really great candidate for research I'm going to have you come talk to Wendy about x study what what would you kind of say next Wendy?
0: Um, well I would meet with them and um, go over and inform consent if they're interested um, look at their inclusion exclusion criteria to see if they meet the study And then um, if they are interested in um, participating, then get them signed up and talk to them about how often their study visits are, what their uh, commitment would be, how long the study runs for, um, what um, kind of questions that they might have at the time.
1: So that's a really good synopsis of the process. Tell me, let's dive into that a little bit more. Tell me a little bit about what it's like for that word, informed consent, because that's actually a really important step in the resource process.
0: It definitely is. Uh, The informed consent um, will tell uh, the patient what um, pharmaceutical company that is going to be doing the study, the principal investigator overseeing the study at our practice. Um, We're strictly looking for volunteers, so it does talk about um, being a volunteer and if they do not want to participate that they can drop out at any time. Um, It talks about all the study visits um, in detail, uh, whether there's gonna be blood drawn and EKG um, surveys, um, what, uh, anything that applies to the research study will be listed in the informed consent. It also talks about um, HIPAA, amenity, Um, Every person is assigned a study number, so all um, information about the patient is concealed. It's not given out to anybody. Uh, We also, um, if there's a patient stipend um, available to the patient, it talks about uh, risk and benefits. It will talk about um, um, any really anything that the patient would have concerns about, we would go over. So,
1: Those are all really great points. And, again, that informed consent is kind of the education about the study, you know, what you can expect with that study. So that's a really important step for you to understand not only what the goals of the study are but also potentially the risks and what the process looks like for The particular protocols of the study, once a patient goes through the informed consent, they usually go through kind of a screening process and tell me a little bit more about that.
0: Okay, the screening visit is usually the longest appointment. It involves the informed consent process as well as um, discussing those visits that the patient has to have. And then, um, depending on the study, we may have to draw blood. Um, we may have some in, uh, protocol uh, or, um, questionnaires to complete. Um, there could be walking assessments, um, dexterity assessments, cognitive assessments. Um, all associated with the screening process. And basically we're looking to see if you um, meet criteria for study inclusion as well as being healthy and um, enough to participate because we want to make sure that you are healthy prior to adding any me- uh, additional medications.
1: And who's in charge of the study if a person is enrolled in it?
0: Well, um, as far as at Dayton Center, it would be a principal investigator, which is one of the providers that are actively seeing patients on a daily basis. All study procedures are here in the Centerville office, and um, any kind of study-related activities are um, presented to the principal investigator, uh, such as adverse events, Um, any lab results, any EKG results, um, and you're actually, as a study participant, getting more uh, one-on-one care, um, probably more specific than what you would normally on a uh, regular routine diagnosis.
1: So that would be a really great benefit for research then. Definitely. And so while you're enrolling in research, The principal investigator, that doctor, is really keeping a close eye on what's happening with that study then. Yes. Okay. So really monitoring the the safety of the study. And, of course, since these are investigational medications, we're very interested to know any potential side effects because that's really valuable information to um, provide about the medication, Um, again, stressing the safety of this So once a person is selected for a study, they are usually randomized. Tell me about that.
0: So randomization consists of a 50-50 chance. Um, Some patients could be given placebo while others are given the study medication. We also have studies that have two different types of study medication, but that is randomized. And we do not know exactly who is going to be getting what. Um, so that's why um, it's very important that patients uh, let us know of any side effects related and then afterwards they will let us know.
1: Yeah, and that's something scientifically that that helps reduce what we call bias Um, so that we're not saying one medicine works better than another or works better than a placebo because we want to truthfully know what the side effects are and what the benefit of the medicine is without having other things that might confuse the results. So doing a randomization process can be really helpful that way. So let's say a person completes a study. What happens afterwards?
0: Um, Some studies will have a secondary study, kind of a rollover study, to get further information, especially if it has to do with medications. If it's a blinded study um, where we do not know if the patient's getting placebo or the true medication, it opens it up to the general um, population that they're definitely going to be on a medication. It's just further investigation of the study drug. Um,
1: So... I think that kind of segues nicely um, into one other point that I wanted to make um, about the phases of research. And so there's four different phases of research um, which you may be enrolled in, and so I think it's kind of important to understand that. So there's something called a phase one trial, which is where this is kind of the introductory study of a medication where you're looking at safety of a medication primarily. You're looking at side effects, and you're also determining... The safe dosage of a medication. Again, this is a preliminary study, and usually it's a pretty small study. There's a, a low number of people enrolled in these studies. With a phase one trial, since there are more unknowns, there tends to be a little more risk um, involved with a phase one trial compared with some of the later phases. Um, but you know, the benefit of it is you might be one of the very first people to receive a new medication and gain the benefit of that medicine right away. So a phase two trial. Um, kind of helps uh, looking at further numbers of patients. It's, uh, again, usually a smaller study, but it looks more at efficacy at this point. Um, You know, it starts proving whether a medication can be effective or not. And, again, you're still monitoring safety on this. But really the the meat of most trials is a Phase three trial where the, the clinical researchers try to enroll a larger number of patients to try to more definitively answer whether a medication is both safe and effective. Um, And it also helps sometimes compare to other medications with a phase three trial. And then the phase three trials can sometimes roll over to phase four trials like Wendy was just talking about where this is usually after market studies, a, a, a medication completed that phase three and is then able to be um, on the market and prescribed. And then in a phase four trial, you're getting additional information looking for long-term safety effects and just providing ongoing information about a study study drug. So I kind of hope that this has been helpful for everyone to kind of get a little bit more information about research and to see if you know it's something you'd be interested in or not. Um so I want to thank you all very much for for listening to this um and I wanted to give Wendy, uh one more opportunity just to um add anything else that she might want to as well.
0: Yes. So anyone that might be interested in uh joining a research project um can talk with their provider at the appointment. Um if you're interested in between appointments, you can always call into research and our number is 937-424-3033. You can also reach out to um, the research department by email, and that is research at dcndinc.com. And as always, you can go to our website at dcndinc.com.
1: Thank you very much for listening today.